You wouldn't buy a car without a seatbelt, a laptop without Wi-Fi, or go a day without your cell phone. Could a business survive without the internet? Then why are many healthcare providers and provider organizations still not connected and enabled to share critical clinical information digitally in the care of your friends and family? Welcome to Notify, a podcast from Notu. Join host Dr. Peter Schock, Chief Health Officer, and Teresa Bell, Founder, President, and CTO, as they bring the profound impact of healthcare communication to life through frank conversation in understandable language and through real-world context, they'll demystify interoperability, helping you unlock the potential of healthcare communication at scale. You'll also learn the transformative impact of being no two connected. Connect. Connect. Listen. Listen. Transform. Transform. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Notify. I'm Dr. Peter Schuck, along with Teresa Bell. Teresa, last time we uh, talked, we were talking about uh, interoperability and how it's foundational solving healthcare big- biggest problems using the kind of healthcare story of your dad's recent um, uh, brush with healthcare. And we were talking a little bit about the provider perspective, but it occurred to me as I was listening to it to get it ready for publication that we did a pretty good job about talking about the provider psyche with the questions you were asking me, but I'm not sure I did as good a job of tying that back to the provider experience and then how those, how interoperability really solves some of the, the, the bigger problems in healthcare through that provider experience. I don't know how you felt about it, but that was my reflection on what I was listening to. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that the psyche is driven largely by not having the benefit of being no two connected or being and being connected. So our ability to impact that I think is a is a great conversation and a, probably a conversation in its own. So I don't know if it's it was probably a great thing that we didn't talk about it well that was <laughs> so a happy accident in other words. That's that's good. I like happy accidents. So uh, I, I think that's I think we'll address that today. And, and when we talk about the provider well, so let's start with this 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 cascading kind of idea that that um you know, we like to to think about leading the future of healthcare communication, and we're doing that by thoughtfully solving healthcare's biggest problems through interoperability. Um, and that's a big statement. And I think what what we've been trying to do in this series of podcasts is talk about how that's a big statement, but it's a true statement, and it's a very real statement, and actually tying it to some tangibility through what we're calling personas of impact, and and kind of four abstract personas of impact. Uh, one being a healthcare business, the business fundamentals of running a healthcare organization, whether it's a hospital, a SNF, uh, a private practice, to a provider, really through the provider experience and the things that matter to a provider that are tied to some of healthcare's biggest problems. Um, you know, one of the, the the things we talk about in cost of healthcare is if providers don't have the right information at their fingertips when they need to make decisions, we reorder it, and we reorder it because we're liable and responsible for the decision we make. And we need that information. So, um, so, so having information at your fingertips can impact not only the provider experience and clinical decision making that impacts outcomes, but it can also solve for cost in healthcare, right? To eliminate waste in healthcare. So that we want to tie those things back. So that's the second persona of the provider. Third persona is really the patient and around patient experience, care coordination for patients, patient safety. And we'll talk about a little bit about that as well. 
um, in the next episode. And then the fourth persona is a little bit more abstract to people. And I call this one Uncle Sam because I don't have a better name for it. But it's really around the impact of the healthcare system as a whole, um, like cost of care, like uh, uh, outcomes, those kinds of things. So uh, uh, safety at a macro level, not just at the individual patient level, uh, those types of things. So I think there is a um, those are our personas of impact that we're using to kind of describe in a real tangible way how interoperability not only solves for provider experience, uh, patient experience, business fundamentals, but can solve some of healthcare's biggest problems as well uh, in doing that. And I don't know as we, uh, as I said before, I don't know as we tied it as uh, uh, clearly together in a nice little bow um, in the last time. So I'm glad to have an opportunity to do that uh, a little bit differently today. And again, today we'll focus on the provider experience and the impact of interoperability there and tie that back to some of the bigger problems in healthcare and how it's solving both. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll get right into it. So Colin, can you tell us a little bit about your role at No2 um, and your why for joining No2 or just working in healthcare technology? Um, my role at No2 is, well, first of all, my title is Senior Manager of API Programs at, at No2 and uh, relatively new and been with the company about eight months, so still figuring out a little bit about what that means. But essentially what I do is I help our partners integrate to our communication API in a way that's effective and meaningful for their organizations. And so there's a lot of flexibility with that uh, communication API that can go a number of ways uh, through different integrations and channels. Um, so my role is really kind of taking that partnership, that um, handoff from our business development team getting the partners what they need from a technical and from a documentation perspective, as well as setup perspective, uh, and making sure that they have what they need to go to that next phase and hopefully integrate our communication API in a, a meaningful and, and positive manner. Um, <clears throat> I actually had the pleasure of working with No2 many years ago on the other side of the network where I was a um, vendor selling to No2 or supporting No2. So I got the pleasure of meeting several of the longtime No2 resources, got to know the team quite well. Uh, they were always great to work with, uh, very responsive, and also kind of thinking outside the box, often challenging kind of the status quo on how we did business. So it was a great organization to work with on the Converse side of things. Um, and then several years later, I had the opportunity to kind of interact with uh, leadership and uh, the No2 team once again. Um, and I found out kind of through happenstance that there was a position that aligned quite well with some other work that I had done done previously. So it kind of all fell together, uh, like I said, about eight months ago, but I've been working with the team and have known the team for many, many years. Can you tell us what your all-time favorite movie is and why? I, I think probably Anchorman. I think when I was in college, Anchorman came out somewhere around there. So just kind of a classic, okay. a lot of good, good kind of one-liners, um, you know, I love it. Um, if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? And then what's the first thing you would do when you get there? Um, I've never made it to like Southeast Asia. I've always thought that would be an intriguing place to go. Um, maybe like Taiwan or the Philippines. So I would have to say Southeast Asia. And one of the first things I would probably do is you know, gravitate, gravitate towards the ocean, the beaches, and uh, probably just try to relax a little bit, put my feet up. Yeah, sounds like a great trip. Um, can you share either a funny or an interesting talent or a hobby that us at No2 might not know about you? Um, living in Minnesota, we have just a, a wealth of natural resources here. So 
really the, the hobby that I would say is probably just fishing in the summer, especially we have, you know, a really great kind of, uh, selection of lakes and rivers to choose from. So getting outside, doing some fishing in the summer would be probably one of my favorite things. Uh, nice. Um, what is the most unique or unusual job that you've ever had? Well, going back to when I was about 15 years old, pushing shopping carts, that was the, the first job I had. And I, I remember that day kind of uh, getting my first paycheck and going home and opening it. Connect. Listen. Transform. This is Notify with your host, Dr. Peter Shuck and Teresa Bell. Welcome back from break, everyone. We're diving right into interoperability's impact on the provider experience. So really looking through the lens of the provider persona and how interoperability helps uh, improve provider experience. And then we'll spend a little bit of time at the end tying those back to some of the bigger problems in healthcare and how it's really solving for those as well. Teresa, I know that one of the things that was important to you in beginning Note 2 and the journey of interoperability was improving the provider experience. Matter of fact, to the point where you've said, it's not about the patient experience, it's about the provider experience. And I know that that we've talked about that before, I think on our opening podcast, that's not an anti-patient statement or an anti-outcome statement, but it's a real commitment to help providers. So I would love to just, if you would just re, uh, re-familiarize our audience with that passion um, and why you got into it, and then we can kind of move forward with the patient ex- or the provider experience piece of it. Yeah, I mean, it's, Often I'll sit in panels and I'll, I'll sit in work groups where the discussion and, and understandably so is about the patient, right? And the outcomes to the patient and the benefit to the patient and sitting behind that, those outcomes is not the data. It's the provide what the provider did with the data. So what are we doing to make sure that that provider is enabled? And that is absolutely the core and the motivation as to why I started no to was all about the provider. Uh, that looking at the stress that they were under, and this is, you know, now 12 years ago, and you look at that's just magnified. So we've not, it's not gotten better yet for the provider. It's worse. We have, we have provider shortages. The workflows are, there's more demand. There's more information coming in. And solving that problem, relieving that problem, I guess it's, that's the human side for me, is that is the focus to me is that provider. Those are special people that sign up for that job. And and I've watched it now up close and personal again, uh, everything from the EMT to the, you know, the nurses and the, and the physicians within the hospitals. My dad was in the acute care setting to the inpatient rehab facility that they're 24 hour nursing that were taking care of some of the most basic needs of of the patient. And you watch that and then moving to the neurologist and all the different experiences. These are people that have dedicated their lives to to making lives better. And, you know, I've heard you say it many times that you, your ability to impact lives was for the reason you got into, into medicine. And that to me is what I, why I started the company is to provide technology and tools that make their life easier so they can do why they, they can do what they want to do every day as it relates to delivering care. Everybody wins in that environment. And staying focused to me to the provider is the number one thing that we need to be doing is what can we do to make their lives better because everything else works as a result. In my opinion, everything else works that, that sits around that. So 
absolutely the reason why I started the company. Uh, and again, I've experienced it. And I've said, man, if I could just, as I was watching it through this whole thing that I've been through in the last few weeks is like, man, if I could just have given that information at that point in time, or if I could have just provided, you know, no two could have just provided the neurologist this information in advance of seeing my dad, what would she have done differently? Or would she have been more, less stressed in, in the, you know, in that visit, just simple things. And some of them are much more complex. Um, but yeah, that's, that's why absolutely why we, the company was started. It, it's interesting to me as I think about as I think about what you said. I think many times people put patient experience and provider experience as an either or kind of opposed to one another, as if it's a zero sum yeah. game and you can't have both. And and you and I have talked about this, and I feel strongly that that they're interrelated, of course. But if you can't provide the people providing care with what they need to do their job to the best of their ability or they're spending their time not doing their job, but burdened with administrative tasks, then you're not going to get the patient outcomes you want, whether it's clinical outcomes or experience outcomes. And experience outcomes are broad in my mind, right? Patient experience outcomes are broad in my mind. They, it's rapport. Do I feel known and, and welcome by my uh, doc? Um, uh, do I feel trust in the physician-patient relationship? Do I feel like my doctor actually knows me? Um, uh, or uh, so, so I think there's a the lot, but I, I really appreciate the emphasis on the the provider experience. And it's funny because I almost heard it in your voice on the last episode when we were talking about you sitting in your neurologist's office. I could feel the empathy in the way you expressed watching her try and assimilate all this new information coming in in a very abbreviated uh, point in time from disparate sources, some of them very manual in nature, and knowing that it was going to completely change the face of the visit. Um, and uh, maybe even from a from a time perspective, um, uh, change the face of the visit from a time perspective or change the face of the visit from a, uh, a diagnosis interactive perspective. And she was trying to do all that in real time. And to hear, I can't reproduce it, to hear you talk about it, you could feel the empathy uh, for what she was experiencing. And yet you're on the other side trying to go, you know, my, my dad needs all this care. My dad needs these things and so forth. But yet I could hear the empathy in your voice for the provider, which has always um, uh, impressed me um, uh, for many, many years in the whole years that I've been uh, with uh, No2, advising No2. Well, I appreciate that. I, I think about, yeah, I absolutely felt her her stress in the moment. And I also thought there's a lot of, patients with their family, and again, not disparaging at all, that will come through and they don't have that empathy because they have this perspective of providers being almost like angel-like or god-like in, in, in what they deliver and that they should be able to make a mistake, they should be able to handle all this. There's this certain pedestal, again, rightfully so, that we put them on, but they're humans. And you had said that in the last in the last episode, and they're humans, and they're humans trying to deliver some of the most critical functions of life saving lives and doing it in that kind of stress moment with all eyes on you having to figure it out. I just felt for her. I'm like, man, this is, and I, we were, a, I'm sure a microcosm of what she feels every day and, and having to manage through that. And that to me is, it was as much as it was disappointing to me in the moment that she didn't have the information and we have so much work to do at the same time. I'm like, this is so energizing. And the reason I've got to help solve these problems and, and solve them for 
for providers at large, no matter what type of provider they are. They they all deserve to have their their lives made easier so they can do what they love to do. Yeah, and it's funny because it's it's, it's interesting because you were on the verge of saying what I th- uh, something that I thought was really really interesting, and that is in that moment, what was energizing was you knew that we had the potential beginning solution to her problems, but she didn't know it yet. She didn't yeah. understand it in that way yet. Like so many of my colleagues out there don't understand it in that way. Right. Um, uh, which is interesting. So let's talk a little bit about specifically the provider experience piece and how interoperability tends to impact the provider experience a little bit. You know, I thought about it in that moment. And then as I had time to reflect on it, I, I changed my perspective even more. And you're going to have to weigh in here for sure. Uh, but in the moment, having access to that information prior to us being in her office, so she had a chance to be able to assimilate the fact that my dad had fallen and broken his hip. He had been in a, the hospital. He had been in an inpatient rehab and now was receiving home services and therapy, by the way, which all of it has impact on his base condition of Parkinson's. Um, her ability to be able to put that together and formulate a thoughtful kind of new plan to get to what she kept on referring to as like, we need to get to your to new baseline. Jen, that's what we're going to figure out is what is your new baseline? Uh, her ability to have a, a thoughtful plan. And, and I'm not saying that she didn't come out with a, a very thoughtful plan. She did. Um, but giving her that freedom and access to that information. So that would have required when the event occurred, whether it was at the, at the time of the event, which is probably unlikely to be desirous, or when he was inpa- admitted into the inpatient uh, acute facility, right, and went through surgery and went through then transitioning and following him all the way, um, the ability to track to that and her being aware of it. And and I know that we can do that today, right? So I'm using things that I know we can do today. And then as I thought about it and I spent more time uh, just kind of expanding that is how much time could we have given her in advance and would she have engaged earlier? Possibly. And I don't know. I don't know enough here. Instead of waiting yeah. for the visit, which just happens. Go ahead. It's, no, it's an, inter- it's an interesting question that you're asking. And I, I think about this and <clears throat> what came to mind is there, there are two concepts that are late coming to healthcare, but that have been in other industries for many, many years and have driven improvements in those industries. And those two things are um, total quality management, right? The, the, the ideas of Lean Six Sigma, um, et cetera, um, total quality management that were brought over by Deming from uh, Japan years ago and applied to manufacturing, removing defects uh, from the manufacturing line. And as I think about that, um, and I'm trying to remember the book, there's a great book I read about this uh, from a process improvement perspective. But if I look at at a provider's experience during the day, it is a bunch of repeated processes strung you know, uh, together um, in that pro in, in the thing. So we may do one thing with interoperability and we solve that problem, but it doesn't necessarily solve the problem before it from a process or workflow perspective or the problem after it from a process or workflow perspective. So it may not be immediately available or as valuable to that provider as we think it is from a technical perspective or from a, uh, a an information or knowledge perspective. So it's interesting when you said that because I, I the, the the specific point you raised that made me think about that was would she have had time to read it earlier uh, to look at it earlier? Well, that depends. That depends on what her processes are 
and her processes are dependent upon what information she has, what time she has, how efficient she is, etc. Um, she may not have been in the habit of looking a week out at who's coming in. She may have been in the habit of looking a day out, uh, still early enough, um, or that morning in a huddle with her team, whatever it is. But it just depends on what the processes are there. So the first thing I would say about the provider experience from a provider perspective <clears throat> is every provider's experience is different. And you're going to get as many answers about what improves my provider experience as you are providers, because we're all in different spaces. We're all uh, have, have different offices and so forth. So how do you take all those disparate answers and all those exceptions and bake them into certain key categories or concepts that help improve uh, uh, provider experience? In my mind, having access to the information before the patient gets there is an absolute category of improving provider experience. It doesn't mean that I don't have to do work as a provider in my office to make use of that opportunity, but it absolutely makes my visit go more smoothly, more easy, allows me to spend more time building rapport with a patient engaged in clinical discussion and clinical decision-making than administrative tasks if I have the information beforehand. Now, if I have the information beforehand, but it's all over the place and I've got to go to four places to get it, it's available to me, but I've got to go to three different portals to get it. I've got to print out PDFs and have them brought to me, you know, whatever it is. <clears throat> that's not near as useful as if it comes across digitally in a format that's assigned to a patient's chart or a particular area in the chart or the patient's record, et cetera. So there are, there are incremental steps there, but categorically, having information before uh, we see the patient so that it can be assimilated in the decision-making with that patient or the visit with that patient, absolutely an area to improve provider experience. The format in which that data comes in is another opportunity to improve provider experience, right? It's that next, it, you remove one constraint, the next constraint is the format. Where it shows up <laughs> is, it, you know, all these different opportunities to improve uh, improve uh, uh, provider experience. but no doubt having that information at the time of the visit or before the time of the visit um, to be able to review it is helpful. So the the piece that I thought was interesting, because all of that's available today, right? So if I speak to it from a technology perspective, she didn't have it turned on in her EHR or she wasn't trained on it uh, to know how to use it. So that, that was one piece. What you just defined there was absolutely a process-driven, habit-driven workflow, right? So every, every, you know, whatever it is, 24 hours in advance of every appointment, either myself or the staff, make sure that I have the information available to me. What used to be probably a records request through a phone, phone call or a fax to get some information or however that information was assimilated to your point was something probably not done by the provider. Maybe you would know, uh, but now they can access to it on demand. One of the questions I asked her, I said, well, what if you knew for an adverse event, not for everything. What if you what if you had a notification? Now it becomes an out of process, out of band kind of notification that says, hey, your patient fell and went through surgery and you were notified proactively at the time that event occurred. Is that a good thing? And she goes, is that even possible? It's absolutely possible. I know because I wrote one of the guides to do it, that it's technically yeah. possible. And the question becomes, Who's subscribing to that? Because today that that workflow for whether it's solicited or unsolicited, what they call notifications, right? So like a, an event where a patient gets admitted to the hospital or the ED, 
there's two types of solicitations there. You can be, you can subscribe to a patient population and usually that's done by a, uh, an entity bearing risk, right? So they'll subscribe to a patient population yep. and say, I need yep. to know everything that's happening to this patient, right? Yep. She wouldn't be that. I don't, she falls under that. But if she was, if she's in the unsolicited way, should a neurologist, as an example, this goes, I think, back to last week's conversation on what information by specialty and by provider do they want to know? Would she, yeah, as a neurologist versus my dad's PCP, want to know that? Yeah, it goes to the conversation of relevance. Uh, what is relevant knowledge to the decision they're making at the time? But you bring up two. You bring up two things there that I, I think are important. So, to me, I don't want to get caught up in if they have it a day in advance, if they have it a week in advance, if they have it right before they walk in with with the patient. Because either I, I throughout my twenty years in clinical practice, my habits refined over time. Right, so that there were times where what I had was always available to me before I walked in the room with a patient and my habit was reviewing the chart before I walked in the room with the patient. There are others where in addition to that, I had morning huddle and I reviewed complex charts um, or people that had events prior to uh, the, their, um, the morning so that I was up to speed on that because it probably was more involved than just the five minutes I might have before walking into a room. And then there were folks that <clears throat> rarely um, that would have something where I needed to be involved because I had a role to play that was further out, week out, two weeks out, something of that nature, right? Now, I will say this as well. So, so that's one thing. So it's really around whatever the habit is, if the information's there, is it in the right format? Is it the relevant information? And can they get to it easily and quickly uh, and assimilate it easily and quickly? Those are the constructs from that perspective. But something else you mentioned that I think is also important is when you talk about uh, notifications, this is something that, that, that it, and it, this, I'm, I'm going to push back on you a little bit uh, on this. I think notifications, so 16 of my years as a healthcare executive was in leading population health. So value-based arrangements where it was important to use notifications on a subscription basis. So we had a population we were at risk for. We wanted to know if they showed up in an emergency room somewhere else, were admitted to the hospital somewhere else. And even in those circumstances, the challenging thing is, what do you do with that? So unless I am prepared to operationalize an intervention that I feel is necessary to either treat the patient or prevent unnecessary treatment, the notification doesn't really do anything for me. And so I've got we've got a ton of data. And in that case, I'd say it's just data, right? Floating around or information floating around because it may have context, but it's not knowledge that's useful because I don't have an operational mechanism to do anything with it. I'll give you an example of that. So I can get notified when somebody comes to the emergency room in, in, in my community, right? Um, whether it's with the health system uh, that I work with or whether it's a, a competing health system across the way. I can be notified when somebody in a population that we're monitoring comes into an emergency room through the uh, event notification, ENS service, right? But what does it matter if when they register, I don't have somebody that can pick up the phone, call that emergency department, do a quick clinical evaluation and say the problem isn't a problem that he needs or she needs to be admitted for, and we have a mechanism that we can actually get them care within a few hours um, uh, in an ambulatory way and follow up and we'll take responsibility for that. Now, 
if if we have that operationally in place, the notifications make a big deal, right? So it goes back to meeting. There are things that we are capable of doing, but are we meeting providers where they are and where they're capable? Because I will tell you that providers look at notifications lots of times as noise sure. because they're not the one responsible for caring for that patient in the moment. It's additive information to the next time they see the patient, perhaps. But unless they're going to intervene in the moment or they're responsible for doing something because of the notification, right? I mean, that would be like saying, Doc, do you want me to beep you every time a patient from another practice shows up in the emergency room? Well, no, I'm not the attending physician. I'm not that doctor's pa- I'm not that patient's doctor. Just beat me when my patients show up in the emergency room because I'm responsible for taking care of them. You know what I mean? So uh, that throws back. I, I don't think people get beeped anymore when their patients go to the emergency room. So it throws back. Uh, <laughs> I think I think that dates me. But 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 that that that's what that's like. It's kind of like it's kind of like hey, we can do it. It's great, but I'm not responsible or have no way of acting on that uh, data in the in, in in real time to make a difference. Um, and and I don't know as no, again, use cases and value-based care, those kind of things, absolutely important. No question about it. Um, so anyway, I, I didn't. I hope I didn't uh, pop the balloon in that regard because I do think it's something that absolutely improves um, uh, provider experience. And I'll, I'll give you the good side of that, a notification. If I get a notification and it files to their record and it's there for me to review when that patient comes back in for a follow-up visit and I can clearly see the information that was relevant around that visit, um, uh, that's very, very helpful to have that information. But again, it's not in real time. It's in the time that I see and am responsible for making decisions for that patient. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you didn't, to, to be clear, you didn't pop my balloon. So the, <laughs> there was, I won't give you that much credit. There, there is a, uh, what I think we have to recognize as an industry is, is what we've been saying all along as a company we've always been putting the cart before the horse as an industry, just clear. We we go to the end game saying, wouldn't it be nice if, wouldn't it be great if you had access to all this information? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be nice? Maybe, right? Maybe not. But we always were doing that and going to things like semantic interoperability where one code converts to another. And it's like, we don't even have the infrastructure in place to dream that at, at that time or dream a lot of this stuff. And now the, I think that the point being is that we've got the infrastructure in place to do things like events. We have the infrastructure in place for her to query, you know, in her morning huddle or a week before or whatever it may be. We have the infrastructure for her to send stuff on where if she thought some found something and she could alert another provider, she also has that. So we've got all when we use that's why our whole communication API was built upon send, receive, find, because it's really about that, those workflows. And the infrastructure is there. Now it's about pragmatic implementation of that infrastructure to the provider. And it varies by care setting and what matters to who and how do we use that and how do we apply it? So it's actually used and then we evolve with it. Um, and that's why I brought up. It's like I told her, I said, do you even know this is possible? I don't know if it has value to you or not. I think to your point, it's especially as a neurologist, probably is a bunch of noise because she can't intervene in that moment. But it's there. And how yeah, do we and practically I would say, and systematically apply it? And I want to make sure I clear I set the record straight. I don't I don't believe that it's noise in perpetuity. 
it's noise in the moment if but, I'm not going to act on it. Once it's there and I'm seeing that patient and a follow-up visit, it's very good for me to have that information. But but to your point, I, I think <clears throat> it's a very interesting um, a dilemma. And, and we talked about it a little bit from the provider psyche perspective last time. I think some of this is education of what's, what's available, right? Um, some of it is having a provider look at interoperability from the practicing provider perspective to help translate what's available to what matters uh, to providers, right? And then having conversations with providers around those general areas of impact to see which resonates for them and which bring most value most quickly to them. Um, and I think that's, that's to your point about um, some of the very specific messaging to partners around this and end users around this is it is different. It's a little different. Uh, the provider experience in a SNF is a little different than the provider experience in home care and hospice. It's a little different than a provider experience in an ambulatory setting or an inpatient setting. There are some common themes uh, and areas of responsibility, but the workflows are different and, and things that would bring value, but great value to an ambulatory provider may not bring the same value to um, uh, a SNF provider or a hospice provider. And there may be other things that bring great value to them, but not to others. So to me, it's educating about what we're capable of from an infrastructure perspective, having a clinical translation of the technology and its and its uh, uh, capability to the potential areas of impact within a provider's workflow in each of those settings, and then having conversations with those providers to say, hey, of these five, six areas of impact that we know we can get done today, which ones have the greatest impact to you or the greatest value to you and your business? Now, I'd be remiss we didn't leave this if we left this section without translating all of that into what is the provider experience and how does the provider experience improvements in what they do. Number one, if I have the right data available to me at the point of care, I'm not spending time assimilating data from different sources uh, to create a new record. I can actually have conversations with the patient. So I'm actually able to spend time not doing administrative tasks but actually caring for patients, which is what I got into it in the first place, building rapport, uh, which helps b build the physician-patient relationship and trust with your physician. If I have information about care that is rendered for my patient outside of the four walls of my uh, own institution across the healthcare ecosystem, I am less likely <clears throat> to duplicate uh, uh, testing or order unnecessary testing because I have the test available to me. I use this example all the time, and I think it's a real-world example. Somebody comes to <clears throat> my office with abdominal pain that they've had for a week or five days to a week that's pretty severe, um, difficult to uh, ascertain. They had an emergency room visit, but I don't, and they had a CT scan done, but I don't have the records uh, from that, and I don't have the CT available when they come see me. I've got a limited time to be able to evaluate the patient, decide what I'm going to do with that patient, and the data from the CT scan and the labs would be very important in me making that decision, right, uh, of what to order. If I don't have access to those, I'm responsible for making the best decision. I'm going to reorder those labs. I'm going to reorder that CT scan, right, because I'm the one now responsible for telling that patient what's going on, and I'm legally liable for that, right? Yeah. That's waste. I didn't, if I had access to the CT scan results, yes, there may be rare cases where I need to repeat it because things have gotten worse or changed. But if I had the labs and the CT results and everything was absolutely benign, the likelihood of me reordering a CT scan versus moving on to the next diagnostic test um, to, to determine what's causing the abdominal pain is pretty small. 
So, so from my perspective, it helps eliminate waste in the system uh, by having that information available to physicians to make clinical decisions. It helps me make better decisions. And it actually helps if it's knowledge, going back to this idea of data, information, knowledge, wisdom, if it's truly knowledge that's relevant to the situation, it actually reduces my liability and probably doesn't increase my liability, reduces my liability, helps, helps to reduce my liability. So, so the, all those things improve the patient experience dramatically, right? And what we talked about, or the provider experience dramatically. And what we talked about last time too was, I think I said this and asked for forgiveness for it. Um, because, and I, I think as a doc, maybe I can get away with saying it because, um, but, but, but time is money for providers, right? Um, and time is money and time is outcomes. Um, and, and what I mean by that is the more efficient I am, the more patients I can serve and the better I can serve them. Right. Period. I mean, that's just this fact. And the better my business runs. Right. In addition, the better I am at making clinical decisions and the more efficient and effective I am at making clinical decisions. That's outcomes, too. You know, you hear all this time. I don't know if you've ever seen commercials uh, around um, uh, what to do in an emergency for a stroke or what to do for an emergency in a heart attack. And if you're a physician uh, or a clinician listening to this you know that time is brain cells and time is heart cells, right? So just like time is money for a physician and time is 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 um, uh, delays in clinical decision-making, timing also affects outcomes. The faster I can come to the right conclusion and initiate the right treatment, the better for the patient. Most exaggerated by things like, or most exemplified by things like having an acute heart attack and needing to get to a, a cardiac cath lab or having a stroke and needing to get to emergency room and having that uh, blood clot uh, dissolved, et cetera. So I think there's a real benefit for that. And you know what, as physicians, as providers, whether you're a physician or a non-physician provider, we want to do things that help people and we want to do more of it. <laughs> so, so the faster I can make decisions, the better decisions I can make because I have the information there the less liability because the information is relevant to the decision I'm making, man, the better the impact, the bigger the impact I'm going to have on the people I serve. And, and, and you talk about what combats provider burnout, that combats provider burnout. Right. So, so I think, I think th 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 those are big areas. I think another area from uh, a perspective of provider experience um, uh, is really <clears throat> And I touched on it earlier, but it's removing the administrative burden. I don't think there has been anything. I say this from a political perspective. This will probably get me in trouble. But, you know, I don't think there's been a um, law passed since the Constitution that hasn't served to let me redo that. I don't think there's been a law passed since the Constitution that hasn't in some way served to restrict rights with perhaps the exception of the Emancipation Proclamation and, and uh, women's suffrage, right? The right to vote. Um, and, and when I think about that, um, I'm sure there are things I'm missing in that regard. But the point is, um, ever since we have gotten into electronic health records, I've been asked to do more and more administrative things as a provider and less. And nobody actually, nobody's asking me to do less clinically. They're just asking me to do more in the same time of administrative work, right? Um, and that absolutely impacts provider experience. So the less administrative work we have to do, get it, gathering the information we need, um, uh, the more satisfied we're going to be and the better experience uh, we're going to have and therefore the better experience we can deliver patients. So I'll sum up there. I know I said a lot in that regard. 
Um, uh, we're going to take a quick break. I think we're against a hard break here. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Uh, I can see just by looking at you and knowing you for time, you have a couple of things you want to add. Do you mind adding those after the break? And we'll, uh, we'll come back and, and wrap up. Sure. You bet. Okay. <laughs> we'll be right back. So can you tell us a little bit about your role at No2? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I work on the client activation team under Matt and Lisa, um, and I handle most of the like trainings, implementations, and uh, work with um, a lot of clients on just kind of their overall support uh, of the product and making sure they're working through, uh, actually maybe not working through, but utilizing our product in the best way they can. Can you tell us what your why is for either your why of No2 or why of working in healthcare? Um, yeah, totally. Um, so uh, the why of working in healthcare um, probably starts back when I was in college and had uh, aspirations of being a doctor. Um, so I went through like the pre-med track and did uh, all the pre-medical courses and was working in a hospital and got a lot of experience doing that. And then got to the admissions process and just got stuck up or like hung up in the in the process of getting admitted to medical school. So. Um, was searching around for other professions in medicine and kind of stumbled upon No2. And at the time, No2 wasn't hiring, but uh, continued to pester them, asking if there was any availability for jobs and this and that. And Lisa eventually got me on the phone with John and Teresa. And um, yeah, they offered me a job and uh, have been really enjoying working for No2 since for the last four years, I guess. So. Awesome. What a cool story. Um, can you tell us what your favorite movie is and why? Um, I just rewatched Elf the other day because it's Christmas time Classic. and I love that movie. It's a great movie. It was cracking up. So if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? And then when you get there, what's the first thing that'd be on your list to do? I want to go to South Africa and okay. go on safari um, yeah. and hang out on the beaches there. So here they're cool. That sounds like an awesome trip. And can you share either a funny or an interesting talent or hobby that most of your no to colleagues might not know about you? Oh man, put me on the spot. Um, I'm a decent baker. Maybe that's something people don't know about me. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite thing to bake? Oh, uh, making croissants. Croissants. Wow. Yeah. They take a long really time. But... I know. I was going to say, <laughs> I always see videos on TikTok and it yeah. that seems like very involved process. You know, got a lot of time. Okay. If you were a house, what kind of house would you be? Oh, okay. Um, I would be a, a craftsman cottage nestled in the mountains. Okay. Yeah. Connect. Listen. Transform. This is Notify with your host, Dr. Peter Shuck and Teresa Bell. Welcome back, everyone. Since Dr. Shuck uh, didn't give me any chance to, you know, before the break, be able to say anything, now's my time to shine. Here we go. Um, just kidding. So what, what I did want to talk about was, there's so much to talk about, but in, in the brief time that we have here, is not only the impact to the provider experience for, you know, her, the neurologist in this case, but to what it does for you as a provider, when I speak to you, you know, whoever the provider is here, uh, but the, the kind of the two-sided experience, because as we know, care coordination involves a whole lot of providers. And I've seen that. I saw it firsthand from the handoff of my 
my father from one setting to another is this kind of, I guess, for lack of a better phrase is pay it forward thought process that there's this, there, there's multiple providers involved. So she has that, you know, she could have the benefit of receiving this information on demand, um, which would have been made available by other providers, right? Other organizations, healthcare organizations is the responsibility that providers have to also do the same uh, in their organization and, and really make it kind of a two-sided engagement. Um, so any, one of the questions I asked her is, you know, all the charting that you're doing here and, and any information, if you're changing all my dad's medications or doing anything, is that available to like, for instance, his primary care doc? Is that available to this home care group, uh, this home health group that was providing services in that moment? Then she also mentioned, um, my dad was in kind of a, uh, I think it was a 30 day, maybe a 45 day cycle of home services to get him back to stable, including therapy. And she asked how long we had left and it was about two weeks and she wanted him to continue. So she said, what I'm going to have is a, is a, re a referral available. So when you're ready, call us and we will refer. And I asked, are you going to do that electronically? You know, how is that information going to be shared with that therapy, the next therapy provider? Because there probably won't be the same group. Maybe it will be, but there probably won't be the same group as how is that information going to be shared and make sure that, we, you know, you're sharing the information and paying it forward, if you will. So just want to put that out there as a thought. Um, I don't even know what the question is around it, but it feels like it has to be kind of a two-sided equation and providers need to understand their implication to the rest of the healthcare ecosystem. Yeah, I love that. And I, I would be tempted to leave it there, but the question you asked me at the break was, um, is it all about what providers get or do providers even care? And does it impact the provider experience that the information they're sharing forward to other providers in the care of their patient? And, and my answer to you is it does. It probably isn't something that we recognize um, on its face as an improvement in our experience, but absolutely as a provider, I want it to be as easy as possible for another provider either that I'm referring for care uh, to whom I'm referring a patient for care or that comes in contact with my patient and needs to care for them, I want them to be able to have the information that they need to make clinical decisions. So, so to me, it is a two-sided equation um, in that regard, but I see it through the lens of what I want as a provider, I want everybody to have as a provider. So that means that um, the, the same yeah. interoperability that gets me my information should be able to give them the information that they need. Um, so yes, I, I thought it was a great question and I don't want to leave the two-sided piece, uh, unaddressed. Well, I think the, you just nailed the problem statement, right? The ubiquity and uniformity of interoperability has been one of the biggest challenges. And, and I know I can speak to this as a organization that services most of what we call today post-acute, right? And therapies, they're at the the will and demand the whim of the of the referring provider. So however that referring provider does business is how this physical therapist will do business because they need it. That is their revenue source to your point that this they're running a business. And getting to ubiquity in communication and and how people communicate so we know how to act. So I don't have to as then the referring provider, I don't have to behave differently, right? Which is why we see some of the challenges today. So it's, it's a very fun conversation. It's exciting to me. Um, but I, I, I want to finish up with a, a question because I, we got to get to pragmatism here. There's just a lot of ways we could take this. But I want to ask you a question. of We talk about communication. We talk about the provider experience. Relate that to kind of our ethos as a company and, you know, 
what you're doing to drive our company to thoughtfully solving some of the, the biggest problems in healthcare. How does how do those two equate? How do we that provider experience, what we discussed today, relate to problems that we are thoughtfully solving? Can you can you break that down? Yeah, that's a I appreciate the opportunity to do so. I think it's a great question. It's um I think it, number one, we have to kind of sit down and say, okay, what are some of the biggest problems in healthcare today? And I wouldn't pretend to say that the five I list are everybody's top five, but I would imagine three or four are in that in that category for everybody. Uh, cost of care is is um, uh, a big problem in this country, uh, and the opportunity costs associated with that. If we talk about just that that the people who actually purchase healthcare or pay for healthcare, it's not the payer; they just move money around. It's self funded employers. It's the federal government through its CMS, Medicare and Medicaid services, um, uh, and the Department of Defense with the Veterans Administration and so forth. And it's you and I, the consumer, who are paying our deductibles and our co-pays and so forth. The people who are paying for health care can't afford waste in health care. It's too costly already. Waste makes it more costly. And so it's a problem. Um, number one. Number two. Clinical outcomes. I would not say that we do not have. We have the we have the greatest healthcare system in the world. Um, we have the greatest technological advantages. We have the greatest uh, diagnostic advantages in this country. Um, we have unbelievable drugs that that um, uh, cure illnesses now that weren't cured twenty years ago, um, etc. But it doesn't mean that we have the best possible outcome systemically um, when we care for patients. Um, and that's a challenge. We don't have equitable access to care. We still have problems where health equities impact outcomes significantly across the country. Um, the provider experience is one that we were just talking about that's a huge problem in healthcare that nobody's talking about. And I think it's probably the, the, the hidden crisis in our country's healthcare system. And that is that provider burnouts at an all-time high. Um, it got worse after the pandemic. Um, it's multifactorial in nature. Um, it's not one simple thing that solved that problem. There are some things that improve it, but not one simple thing that solves that problem. Um, provider shortages, not just from burnout, but because people are choosing other careers. Um, and when I say providers, I'm using ubiquitous providers all the way from doctors to nurses to medical assistants and so forth. Some of the, the clinical frontline positions in healthcare that are responsible for doing some of the most important yet meaning menial and difficult tasks, cleaning someone up who's messed themselves uh, in a nursing home in a timely manner, um, reorienting and dealing with somebody who's completely disoriented and agitated in a loving, kind, um, uh, safe way. We're losing those people from healthcare. Um, though, and we're losing people from healthcare because it's actually too hard to do the things that we're asking them to do. Not, not because they don't have the willpower to serve others and do those things they do, but because all of the administrative stuff to get it done is too hard. And nobody's looking yeah. at that. Everybody's just asking them to do more, asking them to do more, asking them to do more. So there's a provider experience. It's a crisis in this country. And I think uh, uh, and, and provider shortage uh, across the spectrum of providers in healthcare, that's a looming crisis. And I think patient experience is a huge problem in healthcare. Um, when you talk to a patient, and we, we're all going to be patients if we haven't been yet, um, and we all have parents and family members who are patients currently, right? And when you think about just the story with your dad, the stories of my, my parents, 
I don't know how my parents navigated some of their complex illnesses without having somebody on the inside, right? Somebody who understood who to call, what this meant. Um, hey, this wasn't important. This was important. Those kind of things. Somebody to ask the right questions in the moment so that they weren't misunderstood. Um, you know, and then you try having a, a, a patient who has a receptive and expressive aphasia, which means that they're smart. They just can't process things coming in well, and they can't process things coming out well. The thoughts in their head are all good. They just can't get them in, can't get them out well. And and you talk about that communication barrier um, and trying to trying to figure that piece out, or even not that severe, just English as a second language or culturally different than your provider, those kinds of things, all of those kinds of things. So uh, patient experience is is a huge problem for a number of different reasons. Fragmented care, the better we get at giving care, the more specialized we get, the more providers that a person needs to see to manage one uh, one illness, the more medications we discover to treat illnesses, the more medications people are on. The burden of disease has gone up, largely led by obesity and diabetes, which is making people have uh, uh, more medications, need for more healthcare services. And every provider that they see increases the complexity around communication, transmission of information, safety, two or threefold. Um, so the provider, the patient experience is huge from a care coordination perspective, uh, from a safety perspective, um, from a fragmentation of care perspective. So if I list those five things as kind of the healthcare's biggest problems, giving a physician or a healthcare provider the information the knowledge they need relevant to their current clinical decision-making. Number one, as we talked about, helps improve cost by eliminating waste, right? I'm not duplicating tests that I don't need because I have the information to make a wise clinical decision. And if further testing is needed, I can move on to the next diagnostic test and not repeat what was already done. That's a huge one. That's a huge one for anybody involved in value-based care. It's a huge one for anybody who's looking at the national landscape around uh, cost of care, um, et cetera. Number two, the provider experiences. We just talked about a number of the different things from the provider experience helps to reduce their burnout, improve their job satisfaction, allowing them to do what they got into it for, which helps potentially reduce provider shortage, which helps create an environment that people want to work in uh, who are committed to doing the work. Um, so I think that's another area um, of direct impact. We started out this conversation by saying, you can't improve the patient experience without improving the provider experience. And again, this is not doctor experience. This is the entire continuum of healthcare providers experience. Or you can't maximize patient experience. Let me say it that way. You can make some small changes to improve it, but you can't maximize it without maximizing uh, the provider experience. So if interoperability improves provider experience, ipso facto, it's going to improve patient experience, right? Because we're going to be able to deliver care differently to those individuals. We're going to be able to deliver care more efficiently, more effectively, in a more relatable way. Patients are going to be known from one venue of care to another venue of care. Patients are going to be safer because their information is transmitted to each provider along the care continuum that's caring for them. Patient's care is going to be more coordinated because this provider knows what that provider did and what their role in this patient's care is uh, more effectively. So all of these things are, uh, are when I think about it, I think about those, and then I'll touch on the last one is outcomes uh, and safety. Um, again, the more relevant information I have or the relevant knowledge I have, 
to make a clinical decision about a patient's diagnosis or treatment, the better the potential outcome is. And if I can actually make that decision quicker, I have a greater opportunity to impact outcome in a, in a favorable way in, in, in many situations. So I hope that is clear. I, I went on a little bit of a rant there, but 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 to me, it is really just the provider experience. Those things we talked about in the provider experience impact cost of care in the healthcare system, impact outcomes, um, impact provider experience overall, as we talked about, and impact patient experience. So we're touching four huge problems in healthcare that are addressed just by fixing some of the uh, problems for the provider. And the provider feels that impact at a micro level, but we're still impacting those problems at a macro level as well. So I hope that draws a clear uh, distinction or clear connection between those ideas. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I don't know who would uh, who could argue with those being as our biggest challenge, at least in U.S. healthcare. I think it actually represents international healthcare as a challenge. But one of the things that you touched on, I think would be a great discussion point in our in our next podcast, as, as much as I'm about the provider, right, and that impacts patient experience, going through it firsthand, um, you, you mentioned your parents and how they were able to navigate it. Would they have been able to without you, basically? Um, love to talk about that, because I saw there was, just, it was so many unfortunate experiences going through this from a patient side that if the provider had been enabled or if the information was there, um, what that patient experience looks like. It sounds like a great opportunity for our next uh, next episode. So thank you all for being with us and really appreciate the discussion today. Trace is good to be with you as always and look forward to the next episode. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. That's a wrap for this episode. Please subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform to make sure you don't miss an episode. Get No2 connected today and set yourself and your organization free to unlock your potential. For more information on the value of being No2 connected, visit us at www.no2.com. Follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter. Connect. Listen. Transform.